I want to talk to you about stay thirsty. And I know that comes from a beer commercial, but every time I see that commercial, I think about the fact that I'm thirsty for Jesus. And um, I've never had a taste of Budweiser or anything else like that in my mouth. As a matter of fact, I teased my Episcopalian friends when I led a communion service in their church. I had virgin lips until I took communion with them. That was my first glass of wine, well, cup of wine that I'd ever had before in my life. And, but I didn't like it either, just by the way, just to let you know that. But just to tell you that the thirstiness that I have, it come, it's for water. Sometimes nothing else but water will satisfy us. And I don't know about you, but after a long run, I don't come home wanting a cup of coffee. I don't come home wanting a glass of iced tea or Coca-Cola or fruit juice. When I come home, what I want is cold water. When, I, when I'm traveling, what a time, most of the time what I'm buying is water, especially when I'm overseas. And I've been in those places where you can't get fresh water, where you can't get available water, and it's very, you have to lug all of your water with you. And sometimes you may wonder why we crave water so much, and that's because most of our bodies are made up of water. God created us with this desire and this need that we have for water. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Psalm 63. The psalmist David says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Now, it wasn't that David didn't have water, but he knew what it meant to be in the wilderness. He knew what it meant to run for his life. As a matter of fact, this psalm is a, is a very sad psalm because he's running from his son. His son is trying to kill him. And I can't imagine any pain any greater than when a son turns upon his father. From time to time, a dad will come to me, his heart is broken, and his son has looked at him and said, I hate you. And all his dad has ever tried to do is love him and provide for him. And somehow or another, in that rebelliousness, that son to turn upon his father, it crushes the mightiest of dads and the mightiest of men, the strongest of men, be they professional men or be they laboring men on a line somewhere. Their hearts are broken and crushed. And in the midst of that, David recognizes that what he longs for so much is not even the love of his son, that more than anything, he longs and he thirsts for God. Nothing else will satisfy you when you're thirsty but water. And nothing else in this world will satisfy you other than God. There's no religion, there's no success, there's no fortune, there's no fame. Nothing that will satisfy you except for a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's important as well to listen to verse 2 where the psalmist said, I've seen you in the sanctuary. The closest I've ever felt to God has not been alone in my prayer closet. The closest I've ever felt to God has not been on a mission trip. But when we're gathered in his presence and we're worshiping him, as David says, I thirst for you, Lord. I long for you like I'm in a weary land, a parched land where there is no water. He, he remembers the sanctuary where he met with God. And it's one of the things that I've always wanted for our congregation and for our church. And I'm so glad you're with us online. But hear me this morning. 
Nothing will substitute for gathering with the church and worshiping in person. Those of you who watch us from out of town and out online, you have emailed me and wrote me about this, and I've encouraged you, and some I've helped to find a local church because worshiping, having church on your couch is not the same as coming together with the people of God and lifting your hands and worshiping the Lord together. Do not be satisfied with less than what God has for you. In Isaiah 55, God says these words, Listen, are you thirsty for more? Come to the refreshing waters and drink. Even if you have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come and buy all the wine and milk you desire. It won't cost a thing. Why spend your hard-earned money on something that can't nourish you or work so hard for something that can't satisfy so listen carefully to me, and you'll enjoy a sumptuous feast, delighting in the finest of food. Pay attention and come closer to me and hear that your total being may flourish. I will enter into an everlasting covenant with you, and I will show you the same faithful love that I showed David. We have to become aware of our thirst. We have to become aware of what we're really thirsting for. We're not thirsting for religion. We're thirsting for God. We're not thirsting for more things in this life. We're thirsting for God. There's a, a depth. There's something in us crying out. And you know, in our metropolitan area of Detroit, less, much less the world, we see a proliferation of religions. We see a proliferation of events to occupy people's times. People are looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're hungry for more. It's like the song that Bono sang when he says, I still can't find what I'm searching for. There is a deep hunger and a deep search, and we need to become aware of what we're thirsty for. If I go to try to satisfy my thirst when I'm dying of thirst with something other than water, it's not going to help. It's not going to satisfy, but only that cold water will satisfy. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I read it differently now that I'm older. Now when I read the passage of Scripture, I read this with the eyes of a father and a grandfather, and I almost feel like God is talking to his children the way you talk to a teenager sometime. Listen. Listen carefully to me. Pay attention. How many of you have ever said those things to your children? Listen. I need you to listen carefully. Are you paying attention to me? And you want to say that the things that you are seeking after, they will never satisfy. And that's the reason that our Lord and Savior Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. I've never seen it, but I'm told that there is a spring flowing into the river that flows into Philadelphia, that over that spring is written, whoever drinks of these waters will never thirst again, but it misses, it misses the reference to Jesus Christ. There is no scriptural reference. It's just a quote, whoever drinks from these waters will never thirst again. You can drink of all the fresh, cool water that you want, but only Jesus Christ will satisfy and keep you thirsty. You say, how do I know that I'm thirsty? 
Because somewhere there's this nagging dissatisfaction inside of you. Maybe you've achieved success in your career. Maybe you've gotten married, you've raised a family, and you're sitting here watching today, or maybe the service is over, and you've just found us online, and you're watching right now, curious about the title of the message. And you know that there's this nagging dissatisfaction in your life. Why aren't you happy? Why aren't you satisfied? And we all understand that here because all of us have drank from those pools that don't satisfy. Some of us here, we've drank from pools of career success. Some of us, we've drank from pools of financial success. It's like one man told me here, he says, Pastor, I went from bed to bed just hoping to find satisfaction. I never dreamed it would be in Jesus Christ. And now that he has a personal relationship with Jesus, he called me the other day and he says, I want you to know what a difference Jesus has made in my life. For the first time in my life, I'm satisfied. We've all drank for those pools. Max Lucado says, they're these pools that we've drank from, they're like salt in the desert. They just simply do not satisfy. And I read once that lust is the craving for salt by a dying man. Let me tell you, it doesn't have to be lust. It can be money. Money is the craving for salt for a dying man who thinks his life is worth more because he's worth more financially. It can be career success. It can be fame. Whatever you want it to be, it's like thirsting for salt when you're dying for thirst of water. You say, Pastor, what do I do? As I told one of my friends recently, just shift your thirst to Jesus. Try Jesus, look to Jesus Christ, because I believe that that naggingness, I believe that that dissatisfaction that you're experiencing. Once a church called me just recently and says, we are drifting, we don't have any purpose, can you help us? And sat down with them and we kind of walked through how to find the purpose for your ministry and how many are trying to rebuild churches and reopen churches after the COVID-19 crisis. Jesus says these words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Read that out loud with me this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, Jesus is pronouncing right here a special blessing upon those who are thirsting for righteousness. Jesus is saying, there is an extra special blessing for you if you're thirsting for this, if you're hungry for this. I will pour out upon you a blessing. What is righteousness? It's a clean conscience. It's a clean slate. It's a fresh beginning in life. It's a do-over. It's a fresh start that Jesus Christ gives us when he forgives us of our sins. In Psalms 42, in verse 1, David describes it like this. As the deer longs for a stream of cool water... So I long for you, O oh God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go and worship in your presence? Look at that. Have you ever tried to get between a wild animal and its thirst? Have you ever tried to get between a domesticated animal in a pasture and the spring and the river? That cow, that deer, if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, that wildebeest, they will charge you 
When the deer is panting for thirst, even though it knows the crocodile is in the river, it will risk its own life because there comes a time when you are so thirsty. And David is saying here, as he says in Psalm 63, God, like the deer who's run its heart out, like the deer who's fled from the hunter, like the deer who's fled from the predator and is thirsty for a drink of living water, I thirst for you. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the blessed bliss that earth imparts, we turned unfulfilled to thee again. What was Bernard saying there? He's saying with all the blessings that you've given us upon this earth, Jesus, you are still the fountain of life. Nothing else will satisfy us. For you see, righteousness is a right relationship with God, not the God's. Not a God, but the one true God, the one and only God. Righteousness is a right relationship with him. You say, Pastor, how do I get that relationship? Because it seems like there's this gulf between God and me. It's our sins that separate us from God. It's our, it's our need to be born again, as Jesus put it in John chapter 3. It's our need for a fresh start, a clean conscience, a clean slate, the forgiveness of sins that we could never atone for. The Bible tells us, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I am told that years and years ago during the Welsh revival, in a country that was hardened, in a country that had not had a revival in probably 200 years and churches were empty and churches were dry and dead. Suddenly God began to move among those coal miners and they began to pray and they began to seek God. And on one Sunday morning, they came to church and the pastor was standing up there preaching some philosophy and not preaching the Bible. And one of the old miners bent his head over on the pew in front of him. He says, oh, pastor, don't give us philosophy. Give us God. Don't give us philosophy. Give us God. We need God. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you the need of our nation and the need especially of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a fresh living experience experience with the living water himself. We need a revival from the Holy Spirit. We need a relationship with God. We need Christ in our hearts. Don't get between us and those streams of living water. Don't try to cut us off for you've never seen a deer or a wildebeest or a bull more fierce than a Christian when they are seeking and hungry and searching for God. And righteousness is a flourishing life. It is not a self-righteous life. It is not a better than thou life. It is not a life that looks down upon our noses, upon our perches and our pedestals, upon lost, lost people. But righteousness is a flourishing life. It's a humble life. It's a growing life. In the world of medicine, we have what we call communicable diseases and incommunicable diseases. In the world of medicine, we've learned about there are certain things like COVID that you can catch from somebody. So if you have COVID, you know, we, during COVID, we wore masks and we did socially distancing so we could protect one another in case we had COVID. But there is also incommunicable attributes of God and there are communicable attributes of God. You see, the closer, now listen, and if you want to judge a Christian, you know, the, the, 
Jesus gave you the right, people who don't know Jesus, you gave you the right to judge us. You know, that, that's, that's an incredible privilege. If you want to judge us, then you can judge us by the fact that the closer we get to God, the more loving we are, the more gracious we are, the more kind we are, the wiser we become, the patience, more patient we become. Those are the communicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God, they begin with the word omni, like omniscient. In other words, God knows everything. They begin with words like omnipresent, God is everywhere. They begin with words like omnipresent, and not omnipresence, but omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful. You see, the problem with people is this. We want the incommunicable attributes of God like our ancestors Adam and Eve did. They had the patience, they had the love, they had the relationship, but what they lusted for and they craved for was that they would become like God, that they would be all-wise, that they would be all-knowing, that they would be all-powerful. And so they listened to the lie of the serpent, willing to give up the communicable wisdom and love and kindness and patience and tenderness of God as they reached out to grab the fruit so that they could become like God. Friend, you and I will never become gods, but you and I are made in the image of God, and the way we become godly is by drawing close to Jesus Christ and getting in his presence, and as we get in his presence, we leave more loving and kind and patient and concerned for others than we've ever been before in our entire lives. That's the mark of revival. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 28, and the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there's also death. And the way of righteousness is life. When you walk in a righteous life, when you live that way, you communicate life. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29, once you were convinced that he is right and righteous, You'll recognize that all who practice righteousness, pure-hearted, gracious, truthful, loving, wise, patient are God's true children. Now look at this for just a moment. Once you are convinced that those who are right and righteous, you'll recognize that all those who practice righteousness, again, love and patience and kindness, they're truthful, they're loving, they're wise, they're patient. You see, I grew up, and the people that I thought were righteous were actually self-righteous always critical of other people, always looking down on other people, always telling me how bad they were, even critical of other denominations, critical of people who didn't agree with what we agree with. They, and as I read the Bible more and more, this wasn't how I saw Jesus living. You see, a self-righteous person, a self-righteous person is like this. The person who's always trying to tell you how smart they are really aren't that smart. The person who's always trying to tell you how strong they are really aren't that strong. Our son Benjamin is six foot four, six foot five, got a size 18 foot, he's a big guy. But you know, Ben never goes around going, I'm big. Ben never goes around, I'm tall. <laughs> you know, Ben doesn't have to. You just look at Ben and you know he's big, he's tall, he's strong. But when you meet a self-righteous person, 
They're trying to communicate to you something they really don't possess because a righteous person was like we looked at in the first message in the series is like Jesus. They are humble. They are meek. They are kind. Their strength is under control. And all Jesus wants to do is to feed us. Dorothy Sayers years and years ago wrote a beautiful play called Calvary's Hill. In these words, Jesus, in this, this little passage I'm going to read to you, Jesus is hanging upon the cross and the world is jeering at him. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty, Jesus of Nazareth? Where's the water you talked about? Where's the never failing bread? Nothing up your sleeve now, conjurer, and the crowd begins to laugh. Loaves and fishes, loaves and fishes, they cry out. Jesus is hanging. Jesus is the one that says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Jesus, the one who made the water into wine. Jesus, the one who fed the hungry. And now as he hangs upon a cross, not having done anything wrong, not being guilty of anything, the world crucifies him. And there stands a lady named Mary Magdalene. Mary, who had drank from the pools of salt that will never satisfy Mary, who was sought by perhaps soldiers and priests alike. Mary, who people turned to and thought was very attractive, but her life was full of the devil. Mary, whom Jesus set free. Mary Magdalene speaks these words. He fed you with the bread of heaven and the water of life freely, and you have given him vinegar to drink. Can I ask you a question this morning? What are you giving Jesus to drink out of your life this morning? What is you giving to Jesus out of your witness and your testimony? What are you giving Christ when you're at work? What are you giving Christ in your marriage? What is it today that we offer to Christ if the city of Philadelphia refuses to recognize that that stream pouring into the river, bringing fresh water to drink, if they refuse to recognize that Jesus is the source of water, then they'll continue to drive people to a fountain that will never satisfy. What is the church giving to God? I'm not asking you for an offering. I'm not even asking you to sign a card to volunteer for ministry, but I'm asking you to contemplate what are you giving to Christ through your life this morning? You see, it's like my offering that I gave earlier today. Everything that passes through my hands, God gave to me. Everything God gets, everything that I have is God's gift to me. I don't have a great marriage because I'm a great man. I don't have great kids because I'm a great dad. Everything I have is because of the gift of God. Everything I have is because of the blessings of God. And when I give my offering, I frequently pray something like this. As I give, I say, Lord, everything that passes through my fingers already belongs to you. Give me a more generous heart. When I, as I live with my wife, I get up in the morning and I write three things that I'm grateful for God to about Becky's life. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave her to me because I remember the days the doctor says you can never be married. I remember the days the doctors told me all kinds of 
things like that. And I sat in my car and I wept like a baby. I drove back home to Macon, Georgia. And I went to my home church and I lay there on my face before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And, and, and whether it was a vision or a dream or what have you. But I remember a blonde-headed girl dancing through my dream. And I remember children coming through that dream. And somehow or another I knew the doctors didn't know everything. And today I'm the husband and the father and I'm healthy and I'm preaching the gospel because everything I have is a gift of God. Righteousness is a flourishing life. It's a flourishing life. It's not a self-righteous life. It's a flourishing life where you grow and you share. Righteousness is a gift of God through Christ. When we trust Christ, we receive his gift of righteousness. Maybe some of you watching online or maybe some of you here in church this morning, even in this message, you've been thinking about something you feel guilty about. You've been thinking about something you wish that you hadn't have done. You're thinking about the time that maybe you spanked your child when they didn't deserve it. Maybe you're thinking about the time where you were short with your wife when you should have been loving and patient with your wife. Or maybe it's something you did a long, long time ago and you don't believe that God has ever fully forgiven you. Listen, my friend, you don't have to live with that. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. But but if you trust Jesus Christ, he will wash your sins away and it will be just as if you have never sinned. That's what we mean by justified by grace. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. And I, and I don't mean to say in case somebody is going, well, we should feel guilty about that. Well, of course we should feel guilty. I don't mean to say that. But my guilt, listen, especially you critical ones, listen, my guilt will never absolve me of my sin. Only the blood of Jesus and my trust and faith in Christ will absolve me of my sins. You see, that's the difference. That's the reason I can never live a self-righteous life. Paul addresses this in Romans where he tells us everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this how? Through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Now look at this. People are made right with God. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. When a Jewish believer heard this in the first century, they knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Because they knew that those lambs that were sacrificed in the temple, those, those lambs could never absolve them of their sins. They knew that the lamb pointed to someone who would come who was sinless and would absolve us of our sins. They knew it was pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God. I thirst for this life. You thirst for this life. And whether you know it or not, you're thirsting for this life. I was much younger, and we lived in South Georgia, a beautiful little town called Valdosta. My next door neighbor was a 
Iroquois Indian, brilliant, brilliant guy, successful guy. His wife was an accomplished woman in her own right. And when I would come in for a run, William would meet me and we'd sit on the front porch. He'd always have me something cold to drink and always wanting to know why Becky and I love Jesus so much. Always curious. One day, I'm sitting there and William had me a cold glass of water. Sometimes he'd have me orange juice and he's drinking a cocktail. They were, we were from two different worlds. I said, William, you don't do a lot of exercise, do you? And he goes, now, Denny, don't make fun of me because I'm overweight. I said, no, no, I'm not making fun of you. I said, but you don't exercise very much, do you? He goes, no. I said, William, when I come in, I said, what you're drinking right now would never satisfy my thirst. And I said, you're smart enough that you don't even bring me a Coca-Cola, but most time you bring me water or you bring me a glass of orange juice. And we sit here while I sweat and talk and I drink this water. I said, William, at some point, the philosophy and everything else that you've imbibed, you're going to find out it's like those dying people you've seen in the movie. They're drinking sand because of a mirage. And in the swallowing of that sand, it kills them. You see, friend, when you're thirsty, nothing but water will satisfy you. Your body is made up mostly of water. But the part of you that will live forever, it's made up of God's spirit. And it longs to be reunited with God. So here's what I want you to do for the next 90 days. Even if, you, even if you don't think that God could ever forgive you for 90 days, I want you to get up every morning to just write, God loves me so much. God loves me. Just write it down one time. God loves me. Will you do that? Even if you're a passionate follower of Jesus, I'm asking you as a church for the next 90 days, let's just write, God loves me so much. Because what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves it's not because we're good, it's not because we deserve to be loved, but God loved us while we were still his enemies. When we were singing one of the courses this morning, I looked at that cross and I imagined to myself Jesus Christ dying for my sins upon Calvary. And I reminded myself, because I knew I was going to tell you, God, you love me so much. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ so it's too great to understand fully. And then, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is stop eating junk food. Stop eating junk food. Eat healthy food. I have to be honest with you. There are times when physically I, I start craving junk food. And I know, I know me, you may not deal with this, but if I give in, I'll eat a bag of potato chips as long as my arm. If I give in, I'll eat Snickers bars like they're going out of style. And the thing about junk food is once I begin to consume it, then I'm not hungry for healthy food. 
Once I begin to consume it, I'm full. There have been starving people who've eaten things that have no nutritional value at all, and they fill up because they're so hungry. Years ago, before I moved here, I walked among the poor who chewed a leaf. And they would chew that leaf and swallow it, chew that leaf and swallow it. It had no nutritional value to it, but what it did was it killed the hunger. And you would see them chewing those leaves, no nutritional value, but chewing those leaves because it killed the hunger. Why? Remember what I said? Sometimes I read this now like a parent. Why spend your money on something that can't nourish you? Or work so hard for something that can't satisfy? I walked into a gas station, prepaid for my gas. Last week, this old man walked in. He's wrinkled, he's a little bit bent over. I greeted him when I walked out. I said, hi, how are you? I'm fine. His face lit up with a smile. I said, God bless you. I hope you have a great day. And I'm putting the gas in my car, and he comes out. He's got a fist full of lottery tickets. And he goes straight to the trash can. I thought, this is interesting. So I slow the gas pump down. He goes straight to the trash can with the lottery ticket, and he starts scratching them, throwing them off. Scratching them, throwing them off. He went through them all, and then bent over. He walked over to his truck and got in, waved at me, and pulled off. And I thought, how many people in this world are going to a pool that they know, they already know it won't satisfy, they already know it's not going to meet the need, and so they go to the garbage cans of life. When Jesus is saying, why spend your hard-earned money on something that can't nourish you? Eugene Peterson said, everyone has a hunger for God, but our taste, our needs are so screwed up, we've been raised on junk food, So what we ask for is often wrong or twisted. Don't get me wrong. I told you, I always feel closer to God when I worship in this church. But I wanted to gather my children and my family around for a family altar. And I wanted to pray with them because I wanted my children to know only Jesus could satisfy their soul. I wanted my children to feel the move of God in our home. I wanted them to feel our hands upon them, praying for them. And I didn't want them just to hear me pray or hear Becky pray. But I said to them, here's how you pray. So we taught our children how to pray. Because I don't want their taste screwed up. I want them to know only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And are you raising children today that they long for Christ? That doesn't mean they're going to be a saint. You're not a perfect person. And then finally, bring a bucket, not a teacup. Enough of this, just a little bit of do you. 
bring your buckets. Be like that woman who Elijah says, you bring, you bring every pail, you bring everything you can find, and as long as you've got something to pour it into, the oil will keep flowing. And when they had begged and borrowed every single bucket and pail they could find, and they filled it up, that's when the cruise stopped. I want God to do something in you and me and in our church and in our families and our online congregation. I want God to do something in us. We're going to be so full that finally we'll just say, Lord, I can't take it anymore. Enough's enough. Wouldn't you like that? Would you stand with me this morning? Becky, would you lead us in this course? Make an altar right where you're standing this morning and sing this to the Lord. Come to the fountain. Hallelujah. Dip your heart in the stream. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pain and the sorrow be washed away. Be washed away in the waves of his mercy. Come on, church. Sing to him. As deep cries out too deep. We sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. I'd like you to do I want you to make an altar right where you're standing some of you may even want to kneel in his presence and let's just ask the Lord to fill our cups again say Lord I'm bringing my life I need you but make an altar to him and tell him I'm thirsty and God says there is a blessing for you if you are thirsty for him this morning I don't know about you, but I want every blessing I can get. I want to live a blessed life. And while you're praying, let me talk to those who are listening. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, please understand that the way to a relationship with God is not through works. It's not through your own sacrifice. It's not through feeling guilty, but the way to a relationship with Jesus is to trust that what Jesus did at Calvary, when Christ died for your sins, God looked upon the sacrifice of his life, sinless life, as atonement or as covering up. That's washing away, doing away with your sin if you trusted in him. 
as long as you trust in yourself or philosophy or whatever else it is, you're gambling your whole life. You're gambling eternity upon something other than Jesus. So I'm asking you this morning, would you put your faith in Christ? If so, pray this way with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm thirsty. I feel like David in the wilderness. I thirst for you. I don't understand it all, but I need you. And I ask you, forgive me of my sins. I believe that what you did for me on the cross was sufficient. And I ask you to make me a brand new person, a clean slate, a clean conscience, and a fresh start in life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you so much. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. May his smile always be upon your life. And finally, my brothers and sisters, may you be blessed and prosperous in everything you do for him this week. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>